A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have the beautiful Alyssa Cousins with me. Alyssa is truly a healer. And we talk about her own journey into healing, some major trauma that she experienced when her husband was hit by a car while he was cycling and was in a coma and in the hospital for 64 days. She talks about her journey from being grief-strucken at this tremendous change in her life and then how it stuck with her for many months afterwards. She heals herself through intuitive dance and has really learned how to rebuild this connection between the body and mind after trauma. She teaches that on retreats and online. And she is truly a life force. I loved talking with Alyssa and she shares so much goodness for anyone out there who is experiencing rough times, is experiencing the little T of trauma or the big T, all of it is needed in the healing world to be experienced, to be processed, and to be supported. And so we do that in our talk today, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Alyssa. So happy to have you on today. You have quite a breadth of offerings and background. So let's just start with how you got into the work Specifically, it seems like um, working with trauma. Yes. <sighs> Happy to be here. Always, always love talking. It's weird to say, you know, I almost just said, it's always, it's always good to talk about trauma. You know, that sometimes comes out sounding weird or like an odd statement, but I genuinely do enjoy having these conversations and the dialogue. I think we need to be having more of these conversations because let's face it, 
we're living in a very traumatizing world every day. And it just seems like we're always, it's just coming at us in all ways. And we all know trauma. We all know what stress, chronic stress feels like. So that's what I mean when I say I enjoy these conversations because they're so important to have. How I got into it. Oh my. Okay. So (laughs) that's always a big question. (laughs) So I would say with the trauma piece, you know how when you're, you know, I'm also a yoga teacher. And I'm sure that you know how that feels when you just, have an inkling that you're supposed to like that next, that next thing that you're supposed to take a deep dive into, whether you're like, Oh, I want to try out Kundalini or I want to go look at yoga for trauma. You know, we get those feelings. And I got that feeling a couple years ago that to be a better coach, mentor, guide, teacher. I really wanted to understand trauma better. And I had started experiencing, um, I went through a series, (laughs) like a series of unfortunate events in my life that started in 2016 and kept coming like big traumatic experiences kept happening to me from 2016 until 2020. And then even if we bump it even closer, I'm currently going through a separation. So that's also another big stressful of that life event, even if it is very cordial. So I got very interested in wanting to understand trauma better. One, because I kept experiencing so much hardship and deep suffering in my personal life. And every time I was with clients on retreats, people kept coming, women kept coming with so much pain and suffering and these stories that would just gut me of them wanting to heal themselves from the inside out and feeling stuck and feeling like, They didn't know where to go. And yet they kept showing up in my spaces. And I just had that feeling. I'm sure you know it as a teacher, like I can do better. I need to do better. I want to serve better. I want to understand this trauma that people are experiencing, but I want to see it from a body lens because I understand the body. I like learning about the body. I want to know everything about the inside out experience. I love humans too, and humans have bodies. So I want to understand humans in all capacities. So then I went and did a yoga for trauma chain, yoga for trauma training with Jafar Alexander, and it just blew my mind, opened me up as an individual, had so much compassion for myself, understood myself so much better. And then that just expanded out. And now like any kind of information I can take in about trauma, um, learning about how the body mind works, what trauma does to our, our system. It's fascinating to me, but I, I want to know about it. I want to talk about it because it's so empowering and healing once you 
Yes. Know how to work so with it. So what, on a personal level, what were some of the symptoms, for lack of a better word, indicators of trauma that you felt in your body? Mm. Because I, I agree with question. you. I think our body speaks to us way before the mind catches up. And some of that is conditioning. We have lots of very primal um, protective mechanisms in place. And then we, you know, you add the cultural conditioning and, but our bodies are, they're present all the time and they tell us the truth. Yes. They're so truthful. Mm -hmm. They're painfully truthful. <laughs> yeah. Your body always knows before it's like, it's like how your body, I always tell people that how your body knows you're in an unsafe situation before your mind even really processes it. That's an easy example. It already figured it out way before your mind is catching up. So, okay. To answer that question, my symptoms personally of trauma, I would say the biggest one for me, for a little bit of context, for my deepest suffering, my deepest trauma which I've talked very publicly about. So it's not something that's, you know, hidden. Um, I was very open about it on social media when my husband was in a uh, cycling accident and he hit his head really hard and had a traumatic brain injury. And it was a really deep brain injury, like all the way down, he had brain bleeding into the cerebellum. So it really impacted him. And I stopped working to be a full-time caregiver. This was when we were both 30 years old. And obviously that's devastating. He was a triathlete, Ironman. Um, we're both young, very like a lot of vitality individuals. So to go from that to, you know, he was obviously, he was in a coma for quite some time. And then he moved through states of coming back to consciousness. It's not like he just opened his eyes and was all better. There's states of consciousness that in some ways as a yoga teacher, I don't want to say, I don't know. It's hard to be like, I'm grateful. I right. got to witness that, but I did actually get to witness states of consciousness in a very real way as he moved through them and came back to himself and was able to interact with the world around him. So I did get to witness the body-mind connection in a way I had never thought I'd be schooled in before. Um, but, you know, he had to learn to walk again, talk again, eat again, drink again. There's so much that, you know, we take for granted that our body mind connection is doing for us at all times, you know, just breathing. And it's a big deal when you have a head injury and you get off of a ventilator and you get off of anything that's helping you breathe. That's a big deal because that means your body is not able to do this by itself, which is a miracle that we totally take for granted. So I digress. That was the context of my deepest suffering. And what ended up happening was initially I was in a fight or flight state, I think just really surviving. Um, I also felt very, at the same time, I felt very on purpose. 
And I felt very much like God was moving through me to be there for my husband, especially those initial 64 days in the hospital. So even though I was in this like fight or flight, stress response, trauma response state of surviving, I did feel very on purpose. I will say so on purpose. And it carried me and it gave me so much grace to get through that. But then once he came home and it settles in, which I think happens to a lot of us after the initial trauma, once it like settles in after a couple months and you real like get to process everything and you're like settled. That was in July, 2020. And by, I'm going to say November. Yeah. November. It really hit me what my life had become. And I went into a disassociated state. So that's a part of that freeze response, right? Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. I went into total shutdown. I just disassociated. I felt completely out of my body, not in a, <laughs> not in a spiritual way. I felt numb. I felt hollow. Like, I remember sitting on the couch and just being like, do I like have a pulse? Like, where am I? And it's weird not to feel. We're feeling beings. And I just couldn't, I felt numb. I felt so sad that I was numb. Like, I didn't even really feel the sadness. Uh, There was no zest for life. Um, That makes you very, you you don't want to interact with the world. You don't want to move off the couch. Obviously, there's no libido involved in that. It's like a stage of grief, you know? I mean, it's oh, like yeah. you, you know, your husband yeah. survived. What a miracle. And you're just, you know, going blazing to be that caregiver for those initial 64 days in the hospital, which is a long time to be in the hospital. And we could just go off on a tangent about the hospital being its own place for um, magnifying the trauma. Just uh, it's not really set up for the best healing vibes. Of course, we're grateful for the modern medicine that allows like your husband to survive, but the environment is not very healing for the Mm -hmm. nervous system. And then you get out of that and it's like the reality of the change in life and the loss of the previous life. It can hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's like, that's grief. That's like, oh my God, this is, it feels very, there's a finality when something changes, whether it's somebody dies or somebody lives, but they're different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything's different. It's a death. It's absolutely a death. And to think of it in any other way is just, it's a death. That's all there is to it. And for anyone who's experienced some type of deeply traumatic moment where it feels like, like you said, the finality of like, there's a period here and now there's something new. It is a death. Like you can't go back. You can't just blink and pretend it didn't happen. You wake up every day and realize that it's different. You're different. They're different. Life is different. What I thought I knew about life is different. Everything changes. And There was so much, it's interesting that you brought that up because I know I was grieving, 
And yet even just a week ago, a new wave of grief hit me from two years ago. And I was wailing on my bedroom floor. Like, where did, like, you don't see the wave because it's all the way out there. And then when it comes finally up and it crashes in, but it was a new layer of grief that was like, I'm ready to process this now, but it really does come in waves. And I don't know that, I don't know if grief ever really goes away after something has like impacted you so big. I think you do get better at coping with it and, and starting to change your relationship Mm -hmm. to it in a way that it feels like you want to go meet it. And I I almost want to say be friends with it. No, I think that's very accurate. Uh, I've talked a lot about grief on here and I think that to not try and befriend it, meaning to embrace it, to feel it, to be okay with it, to sit with it, to sit with and down and allow, allow it to become in your cells, you know, so you're, you know, like you would with a friend, it is, it's a way of managing it and it's a way of processing it because you're right, grief changes and definitely the rawness changes, but um, yeah, it'll catch you off guard just out of nowhere. And I think that's when we're, when we're better tuned in our, in the bi- bi- mind body connection, I think we can feel it and not be afraid of that. Oh, and you know, that it's like, why? I, I thought I was over that. No, you don't really get over it. You move through the very hard stages of it. And then there's less hard stages, but they're still hard. Yep. Yes. I, I always say that. I, I kind of hate the saying, just like move on or you'll get over it. Mm. I don't think we just move on. We mm-hmm. move forward. I don't know that we ever move on. That doesn't really feel, at least not in my personal experience or when I've talked to clients that doesn't feel accurate when something has forever irrevocably changed your, you know, you and your life, but you can move forward. And, uh, so what are some of the tools yeah. that you personally use that have helped you manage that, that very traumatic event <laughs> that really changed your life and your relationship and your future, your hopes? You know, there's a lot to be able to come to the table with and, and detangle, what were some of the tools that you used? Mm-hmm. I do want to preface with saying that he is all healed, uh, for anyone listening. That's like, but wait, what happened? Is he okay? He did heal and he is a miracle and, uh, he can run way more <sighs> wow. than I can. <laughs> so He's a total badass. Uh, yeah. So he'll, he'll, he'll be back at a triathlon. I think at some point, maybe, uh, definitely, a a, a marathon or two, he's going to do it. I know he is. So I'm so proud of him. And the body is just incredible to witness what our bodies can do. Like, I can't help but smile just like the, the journey, um, of witnessing that 
and also just the, um, the mental strength as well. Um, the, the, the determination, the perseverance of what the human spirit, not just him, me too, like his family and, you know, just the human spirit is, we are so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And we can really come out on the other side. Okay. I digress again. (laughs) Just like, it's uh, such a journey. It's like, it's been two years, but uh, it's it's wild when you think back and you're like, that was my life. That was my life. And like, I'm here now. Wow. Uh, So what got me here to like, talk to you and be able to smile about that breath movement, specifically dance movement, freestyle, intuitive, embodied dance movement, and vocal expression, sound current. Those three things. Plus, I also wrote an entire poetry book. I wrote a poetry memoir. Those helped me process from an inside-out experience. Yes, I also was in talk therapy. I don't want to act like I didn't do that. I did do that, still do that. But I would say for me, it was really the embodied healing, like arts that helped me the most, that helped me process all of that grief, digest it and like, let it go. Really move through the full, like take it in, digest it and then release it. You know, it really helped me to do that and feel all of it because I really just feel that trauma, right? It's like the thing happens to us and then the trauma gets stuck inside of us in our bodies. But underneath of that is a person, is a nervous system, is a body that is wanting to have an outlet to get it out, to release it. And if we can remember that, then we can remember, okay, how can I release it? How can I have, where is the outlet? What, what can be the outlet? And for me, it was breath, intuitive dance, and vocal expression as a way to, like, again, process and release and heal. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about the intuitive dance? Like if somebody was thinking, I, I'm feeling heavy. I'm feeling like you were feeling on the couch. I'm feeling numb, like literally uninspired and stuck. And I totally agree with you. One of the best vehicles for transformation of any kind, but especially getting out of that very, very lethargic and depressed state is to move your body. And I'm imagining the music matters. The What you do to the music doesn't matter as much if you just feel the summoning of your spirit through the music to unclench the stuck stuff. Yes. I know intuitive dance can sound intimidating, especially if Like I came from a yoga background, not a dance background. So for me, I was used to a teacher Mm -hmm. telling me what to do. Here's the sequence. Inhale your arms up, exhale, bring, you know, like it's also more of a linear practice. 
on a mat. That's not what freestyle intuitive dance is. It is nonlinear. It's tuning into how you feel, kind of asking yourself, you know, how do, maybe how do I feel like recognizing awareness is huge with that. Sometimes we can't even identify how we feel. So if we can get to, let's say scenario one, you know how you feel. I feel really sad. That's the overwhelming emotion. Okay, great. We're aware we feel sad. I like to truly, I will go find the saddest song I can find so that I can somatically, musically bring that emotion into my body, especially if we're having trouble fully feeling the feeling, which happens when we go into a trauma response often, especially the freeze one. How can I bring the sadness actually into my body and bring it in so that I can take it all in and take it all back out? So I'll put on the saddest song I can. I'll put on the Adele. I'll do, I'll put on something and, and start allowing my body to just move the way it wants to move in sadness. What does sadness look like in my body right now? Is it moving really heavy? Like, am I kind of like moving around? Like I'm physically heavy. Like my arms are heavy. Is it like putting my hands on my face and just like squishing my face up and, you know, moving the muscles on my face? Is it like hanging my head? Is it just rolling on the floor? Is it wall dancing because you feel like you have no one to support you and you need something? So you go and lean on the wall and you dance with Paul Wall, as I say. So that's one example. Um, If you're unsure of how you feel, don't worry. If you're like, yeah, but I don't know how I feel. I'm, I'm so like disassociated. I can't even, I can't even identify it. That's happened before to me too. You don't have to know exactly what the feeling is to go and process it. You can still use embodied dance. You can still go into your Spotify, your Apple Music, find a song that's just resonating with you for whatever reason. And just trust that and go and move. You don't got to move like you're doing choreography You don't need to do it in front of a mirror. Just see what happens. It could start out like this gentlest little sway and just closing your eyes. And then before you know it, you're somewhere else and your body is moving and shaking and going in all different directions. And it's a practice. It it might not happen real big the first time. You might not cry the first time you do it, you might feel really awkward, but it is a practice. And as you get more comfortable being in your body and allowing the feelings to come in artistically, somatically, it does work itself out. And that expression will feel so liberating, but you also can't forget the sound part too. If we can bring sound in, like literally making sounds while you move and dance, like whether it's could be grunting, it could be moaning, it could be sighing. 
that's a huge piece to add in as another layer. It's like, again, asking yourself, what does my sadness sound like right now? Hmm. And having to, you do have to let go of some shame though. If you have any fear around your expression, because this is a very expressive practice. So do you practice, do you teach this in a group setting online? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Both. So I have the body art membership that's online, which does work nicely. Um, I will say because it's a safer experience for a lot of people, you have the option to have your camera on or off in body art. You're by yourself. So that does work really well for this line of work that I do with women. I really think of it as somatic Mm -hmm. self-study and liberation. I really think that to me, somatic meaning referring to the body, um, I see embodiment as self-study, but through the lens of the body. And also it's a liberation practice of sensuality and expression mm-hmm. and creativity too. All those juices start flowing. So yes, online, uh, body art, take like a six month container membership. And then also in retreats, we're obviously doing it in person. That's a very different experience, but it's very intimate experience. I don't do huge retreat groups. I do intimate style, like 12 and under. So it's a tight knit group of women who are, they're getting in there together. You know, they're sounding together. They're moving, dancing together. They're expressing together. Um, So I really, in that instance, I got to do my best to create the most intimate, safe container possible, but it can be done in both ways. Absolutely. That's wonderful. And I wonder um, if you could speak a little bit about, because people are, uh, like you said, awkward. They feel awkward about moving, about making sound. And then sometimes they'll feel awkward about feeling the emotion. And, you know, people will say, oh my gosh, I was crying in class today. And it's kind of like, there's this, often they feel like, I don't know what happened. Like, it's almost, I don't want to say quite shame, but, and then there is, once people have recognized, no, this is great. This is part of healing. Mm -hmm. People can really express when they're moving. And that can be sometimes jarring to people that are nearby. So if you're doing it in this setting, I imagine it's very like the stage is set, whatever comes out. But is there, are there any recommendations you would give people the ones who are experiencing it, but also the ones who are nearby and witnessing it to best serve the individual, each individual to be able to let go of what they need to. Mm. <clears throat> I'll start with the, you're the person that's like next to the person that's like having this really embodied experience. And you're like, whoa, what's going on <laughs> over there? <laughs> You know, they're crying. They're like, ah, like things, noises are coming out. (sighs) I literally just let a retreat and, you know, in Charleston. And I, so I just was watching this happen. Granted, you know, these women have their eyes closed for much of it. So that's one thing to keep in mind is eyes are usually closed. It's an internal experience. As long as you feel safe to close your eyes. 
because it is trauma informed, right? Not everyone feels comfortable closing their eyes, at least not initially. Um, But for the most part, you know, your eyes are closed. So that's something to remember. A lot of, I think, holding space, even as a fellow participant for the other participant that's having an experience. It's like, I almost want to say it is a practice of being able to regulate your own nervous system, even while someone else is going through their shit. And that's life practice right there. Because we're often going to be in, in moments where we're holding space, someone's coming at us, telling us something, sharing something with us. And if we're opening ourselves up to being there for them in that moment, that's the whole point of holding space, right? That you don't want to just like take on their stuff, that you really want to be able to be present with them, but not take it on, regulate your own nervous system, stay in your own body in your own experience. So I feel like it's actually, I guess mostly what I want to say is it is great practice for learning how to regulate yourself and your own nervous system and coming back to your body. Like you might hear them sounding, you might hear them making a noise, breathing really loudly. You might go into your head for a second and go, wow, they're breathing really weird. They sound weird. What is she doing? recognize in that moment. Okay. I just had like, my ego just took me out for a moment. I had a judgment. I went into my head about it. Part of embodiment. I got to bring it back in now. Focus on me, my lane. Okay. I'm breathing, feel my breath. I feel my sacrum on the floor. I feel my feet on the floor, come back to myself. So I would say if anything, come back to yourself come back to your own nervous system, come back to your own body. And we can do that by really feeling into the subtle body, feeling into the physical body, zone it back in. Cause mostly that's just like, you've kind of checked out for a moment and you made it about something else besides you. And at the same time, I want to point out that person is giving you a major permission slip because if they're going there, you get to go there. So like, what happens if you're like, I get to, I get to go meet myself too. I, I hear her over there. Okay. Like, am I holding back? Like, all right. Like I can do this. Right. So they are giving you such an amazing permission slip to go be expressed to. I just really want to point that out. Um, Oh, I love that. I love that. And I was going to ask you, and then you answered it, but my question was going to be, how do you define holding space? But I think you really, really articulated it so well. I think the other thing is we as humans, because we care, are very uncomfortable with hearing someone grieving out loud. It's, you know, that's why we say all the things that are not really truly helpful, but it's like we're trying to help ourselves by saying something and taking that and not being exposed to that grief. So as you said, it stay in your lane. Like someone might be making weird noises. They might be crying. And our job isn't to take away that grief. We're not going to be able to, you know? And it is to sit and be near it 
And in that, in, in the situation that you're talking about, where you're actually doing a group thing is like to focus on your own self. Mm-hmm. But I think it is something I've seen over the years when a person is feeling a lot and, and, and letting it out because so many people don't let it out. And then other people are really uncomfortable around it. And it's like, hey, as you said, that's a permission slip to that we could all do that. But it's also kind of like the busybody, helpful part of ourselves. Just step back and be okay that someone is really in pain and we don't have to fix it. Yeah. We don't need fixed. Like, I, I'm like, I don't need you to fix me. I really don't. I don't think that's what we're, we're not looking for. Like we're not. Um, that's why, why I remember, you know, I would always hear people ask like these low quality questions when I was in a lot of grief initially, like, how are you? Right. They would kind of just look at you like with so much sympathy. How are you? You know? And it's just such a low quality question because most of the time, I don't think you actually want to know how I am because as you said, we're uncomfortable. Like, do you really want to know? Do you want me to tell you? Um, do you want to feel what I, do you want to feel? Cause I'll tell you like, but do you really? And it's, we have a, as you said, a vast discomfort with honestly, even with joy, we don't even sit with joy very well. Like other people's joy, we get uncomfortable with that. We get uncomfortable with high degrees of emotion in general. We don't know how as a society, I think to sit with it. And I think it just has so much to do with just the lack of expression that we have and the education really on being able to not, not, not forget sitting with someone else's, but even our own. Right. So I think when someone, you know, one of the biggest things I like to remind people, especially when I'm in retreat groups if someone is say all like all of a sudden they are really crying, like they're, they're trying to share something with the group. They're talking and start crying. If they have to pause and take a moment, it is not your job to go and coddle them, to give them a hug right in that moment, because you stop it. As soon as you do that, you stop whatever they were trying to process even though it might, you might, someone might be like, yes, but I'm feeling uncomfortable. I want to make it better. Look that she's uncomfortable. She's so sad. And I have to remind people in group settings, it's not your job to fix them and feel this for them. Let them feel it. Let them feel the discomfort of the, of, of, of having people like literally witness them, but know that they're still safe. That is such wow, that is some alchemy right there. That is some powerful healing right there. If they can learn that it's okay for me to be here and be seen and witnessed in this raw emotion and I'm not being judged, I'm being held, I'm being seen, I'm being heard. That is so powerful. And we they'll take that with them. What a gift. Why would we stop that gift? That doesn't mean that afterwards, after they've kind of brought themselves back to their center, they've taken a breath, they're able to talk again. Then like after they've moved through that, then say, is it okay if I give you a hug? And then go in for the hug. 
I literally had that happen on my last retreat with the woman that was to my left. And we did that. That was the exact scenario. And I think that we, we want to fix, but oddly the fixing is, I think more out of our own discomfort. Totally. I absolutely agree. Yes. Well, I could talk to you forever. You have so much to offer. You're such a wise and soulful being. And I just appreciate your time. Where can people find out more about you, Alyssa? Yeah. I feel like we, yeah, we could just go on. (laughs) (laughs) We speak the same language and I think. There's so much. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's good work and it's, and it's life work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Liberation, like sensual liberation and expression is just what I live for. Like if I can help as many women as possible be more essentially liberated and expressed. For me, that's how I've learned how to heal my darkest, deepest pain. And I know that it's, I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. It's so supportive, but it's just not something that we think about. Um, when we talk about healing, we, we, think about so many other like talk therapy, like, right. There's so many other modalities that are beautiful, but I really feel that our own liberation of our sensuality and coming back to our bodies and emoting and expressing is, is that part that can really alchemize pain into purpose and like Mm. gold, really like these golden nuggets that are just there waiting for us, um, to transform. And, and actually, like, I can tell you, Laura, I've never been more, you know, two years later, never felt more like myself and yeah, I just feel so authentic and I feel really good. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes hard to reconcile, but hardships suffering do really have give us the opportunity to um reveal that which is within us that we might not even realize is there Mm -hmm. absolutely it just like strips away all these identities and things we thought we knew about ourselves and that is also the work of again somatic self-study embodiment you're going to learn about yourself (laughs) You're going to learn all the things that you try to hide or that you don't even realize are hidden, all of it. So how you can uh, work with me, find me at www.alissacousins.com. Cousins is not spelled like how you think it's K-U-Z-I-N-S. And the same goes for my Instagram. I really only use my social media is just Instagram. I don't do all of the places, just Instagram at Alyssa Cousins. Uh, you'll be able to find like in my Instagram bio, all of the different like freebies I've got. I've got so many good free classes, free embodied meditation. Um, there's some articles that I've written that are, if you want to learn more about, you know, I just did one with Elephant Journal. Um, there's just, they're all up in there for more, more resources, anything that you could think of around embodiment and somatic healing. Well, I love it. Thank you so much. And keep up this amazing and very important work. And I hope to jam with you someday and do some ecstatic dancing together. (laughs) Yes, Yes, Laura. Love that. All right. And make sure you check out Alyssa. And as always, 
I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.